Hi, I'm Arun George and you're listening to 3 Things, the Indian Express news show. In today's episode, we're talking about how the Indian Army, that relies on the Indian Railways to move people, supplies and equipment, dealt with a sudden stoppage of trains to Punjab due to protesting farmers. Then, we're talking about the legendary Bengali actor Somitro Chatterjee, who passed away on Sunday. But first, we're looking at India registering its first official technical recession since independence. In its monthly bulletin in November, the Reserve Bank of India predicted that India's economy will contract by 8.6% for the quarter of July, August and September. This comes after a 23.9% contraction in economic activity during the first quarter of the financial year. As a result, the Indian economy has entered a technical recession for the first time in its history. But what is this recession? What are the possible solutions to it? And what will its impact be? For that, we are now speaking with Udit Mishra, who writes on the economy and finance for the Explain section of the Indian Express. Udit, why do we say India is in a recession only now? Typically, recession uh, basically means that uh, the economy is going through a tough phase. And when we say it's going through a tough phase, we essentially refer to a whole broad set of metrics, starting with, say, GDP going down or unemployment going up, consumer spending going down, those kind of things. Now, recession doesn't have a very well-defined definition. It's just seen as a phase when the economy is going through a tough phase. But there is something called a technical recession and RBI defines it by looking at the GDP growth rate for every quarter. And if the Indian economy goes through two successive quarters with negative GDP growth rate, then RBI designates it as a technical recession. So that is the reason now what we have found in, you know, many of your listeners would know that in the first quarter of this financial year, which is April, May, June, our economy contracted by almost 24%. And in the second quarter, which ended in September, RBI estimates that the economy would have contracted further by another 8.6%. So that makes it two successive quarters of economic contraction. And that's how Indian economy is in a recession, a technical recession. Uh, And this is the first time it has happened in independent India's history. So why does it matter if India is in a recession? Does this kind of change how the RBI or the government handle the economy in some way? Yes. So see, the essential thing is that GDP is the most broad metric. And if you're saying that your economy is contracting, for two successive quarters, that that basically means that all the economic agents in the economy are now producing less than what they were producing in the same period last year. Now, India's economy has a certain seasonality to it, right? Because there is a monsoon season where uh, agriculture productivity goes up, then there is another returning monsoon or winter crop, and similarly, that affects the labor flow and everything. So, It's important to notice that when the economy, when it's compared from one quarter to the same quarter last year, if it's going down, it essentially means that people are producing less. And if people are producing less, they are also earning less. And that basically means it has a whole set of ramifications, starting from lower incomes leading to lower consumption and further that vicious cycle of lower consumption then leading to further lower incomes fewer jobs being created or existing jobs being lost, governments not getting enough revenue, 
because the economic activity has come down. Then people's health and welfare is very dramatically affected and it is more pronounced as you go down the economic scale. So there are more chances of poverty levels rising. There are more chances of health outcomes worsening. Things like infant mortality, maternal mortality, maternal health, nutrition, uh, malnourishment, all of that is likely to get affected. Now, if it's only a short period, like if it's only two quarters, then obviously all of this would be to a limited extent. But recessions do have a way of sort of staying on. If you do not take corrective action, then there is a chance that recession can stay for much longer. And all of these things can then get worse. Udit says the fact that things could get much worse makes it important for the government and the central bank to take action. Government which looks at the fiscal policy, which is basically how government spends its money. And RBI, which looks at the monetary policy, which looks at how money is priced in the market, the interest rate and how easily money is available, those elements. Both of them, both of these decision makers or policy makers understand that, okay, this is the time to boost economic activity. So typically from the government side, you would expect the government to spend more because when government spends more, it becomes somebody's income and that income then generates welfare. They go and spend more. And from the RBI side, it basically means you make the cost of money, that is the interest rate, slower so that businesses can borrow more and boost economic activity. So that's the whole spectrum of policymaking. And we have seen that government and the RBI has done a certain amount of policy uh, package they have announced in conjunction with each other to try to tackle the recession. Because this is frankly not a surprising thing. It was known as soon as we had the nationwide lockdown and the kind of problem that COVID pandemic presented before the economy, it was expected that at least for a few quarters, uh, if not for the whole year, there will be economic contraction. One problem for policymakers in India is that they have no past experience to draw on. As Udit said, this is India's first such recession. India has seen slowdowns of economic activity, but its economy has never contracted for two successive quarters. We know that typically every time the economy goes through a recession, the most important thing to understand is the reason what is causing the recession. So if it's a cost issue, suppose oil prices go through the roof and that is causing business activity to contract, then there is one set of policy measures that you have to take. The problem with the COVID pandemic is that it is a shock both to the demand side and to the supply side. Because what COVID pandemic did was that the solution to holding back COVID cases was to lock down the economy. Now, that basically meant that both on the demand side, your demand totally evaporated. And on the supply side, you had supply channels which were disrupted. So there is a certain way in which things are supplied across the economy. And that whole process was disrupted. And when you take a break for say six months or four months, then many of those supply chains have to be repaired. And that repair may take a few months or more than that. And that whole process would lead to higher inflation. So what we are facing in Indian economy is very evident that on the one hand, our growth has totally faltered. And yet on the other hand, inflation is high. Now, this is a odd situation brought on by the COVID pandemic, because typically when growth is down, inflation is also down. Because basically growth is down means there is less demand in the economy. So inflation should typically be down. But here we are faced with a very 
curious situation where both the inflation is up because of the supply shock and growth is down because the demand is low. As Udit said earlier, to bail the economy out of this scenario, the government needs to spend more, while the Reserve Bank of India makes money easier to obtain. The Reserve Bank of India eased interest rates and then stopped as inflation, which is the amount of money in the economy, remained high. The government has announced a number of measures over the past few months that it says aim to revive economic growth. But how effective are these measures believed to have been? So there are some very salutary aspects of the Atmanirbhar Bharat Abhiyan package, which now is into its third tranche, which was just recently announced on 12th November. At one level, close to 15% of GDP has been made available in one way or the other. So either say 9% is through the government channels and uh, 6% is through RBI. What RBI has done is provided more liquidity or cheaper money. What government has done is provided a lot of subsidies for the poorest sections of the of, of the society, of the economy, either by giving free food grains or or giving additional food grains or providing some kind of a income relief to those who are employing the poorest people in different jobs so that the worst off are not affected. So there's much to admire about what the government has tried to do in trying to save jobs, in trying to save lives by giving food and in trying to give some kind of, you know, loan guarantees. However, Udit points out, There's plenty of criticism about how the government has gone about trying to rescue the economy. The primary grouse that economists or analysts have had with the government scheme or measures is that the actual fiscal outgo by the government in this whole Atmanirbhar Bharat Abhiyan package is much less than what it appears on paper. So, for example, in the last tranche also, I think around 2,65,000 crores was apparently spent by the government. But the actual outgo is closer to 1,20,000 crores. And this happens primarily because the approach of the government has been less to actually spend directly, but to provide some kind of guarantee, which is to say that you go and take a loan from the bank, we will provide you some kind of a guarantee. So it's not actual handing out of money. And the argument that a lot of people have had criticizing the, the government's approach is that When you do not spend, this is the time when most people have lost their incomes or jobs or even, you know, income prospects have come down quite dramatically. What people need to actually spend is money in their hands. They may not be most interested in actually taking out a new loan. And when they do not take out a new loan or that whole process of recovery would be slower to that extent. If you were to give more direct infusion money in the economy, if the government was to do that, then the economic recovery would have been faster. But couldn't there be a counter-argument that the government shouldn't spend all its money now if it needs to continue spending for the rest of the year as well? One example Udit has used in the past is the term that comes from the military about keeping the powder or gunpowder dry in case there are battles in the future. Isn't this one of those cases where the government needs to keep its powder dry or in this case retain its spending ability? 
So that is typically the argument and government and many people who support the government view have said that you should keep some powder dry because again, COVID is not something that is going away in one or two months. Now we've seen we are into it for almost a year and there are stories about second waves and stuff. So there is merit for a government like the one in India where resources are scarce, revenues have fallen dramatically for the government to sort of say that, okay, listen, I have... Uh, less amount of money to directly spend. So let me keep my powder dry. But the counter argument to that is often there is a critical phase over which businesses will somehow survive and after which businesses will die. So especially this applies to smaller businesses. So if you think about the bigger businesses, they'll have deep pockets and they'll have enough resources to perhaps survive a lean phase of the economy for six, eight months. But if you think in terms of smaller businesses, a lot of businesses, say any of these small manufacturing units, either making hosieries or cricket bats or you know some kind of um, leather product or whatever, they may not have the money or the wherewithal to stay alive till, say, till the end of six months. So the argument typically was that if you keep the powder dry for the seventh month, by that time, there may be nobody left to save because many of the businesses might have just turned turtle. So who are you going to save at that time? Now, this is again, this is a policymaking challenge and different policymakers will approach it differently and uh, there will never be a perfect solution, frankly. I mean, if you were to spend a lot of money in the very first two months, a counter argument would have been given later on. Listen, you spent all your money. So frankly, it's a, it's a tough one to deal with. Since a dismal first quarter, India has already seen a rise in economic activity as lockdowns were eased and economic activity restarted. A 24% contraction in the economy has eased to a contraction of 8% in one quarter. If the Indian economy registers positive economic growth by March 2021, does it mean we are well and truly out of the recession? That when you go through an economic shock like the one that we are going through right now, that kind of a severity, yes, you should pay attention to growth rates, but you should also look at absolute numbers of growth. I'll give you an example. Suppose India's growth was 100 units, $100, just for argument's sake, $100 at the end of last financial year, which ended in March. And this financial year, it went down by, say, 10%. That means in the absolute amount in this year, the total productivity would be only 90, right? And suppose then in the next year, that is financial year 2022, it goes up by 10%. Then it would only be in absolute amount only reach 99 level, right? Which is one less than what it was two years ago. So listeners have to understand that India can suffer a massive decline in growth rate this year and post a remarkable recovery next year in growth rate terms. But it is very possible that by the end of these two years, we may still be just a tad less than what we were in the last financial year, which was 2019-20. It would not be the case that we will be totally out of the woods. This phase of economic weakness would have its ramifications because over these two years, the income opportunities that could have been or the jobs that could have been created would not have been created. A lot of people would be without jobs. A lot of students coming out of colleges would not have got the jobs they wanted. A lot of people hoping for the increments they wanted or life goals that they wanted to achieve would not have achieved. And coming down to the poorest, you know, poverty might have risen 
in this whole process health outcomes would have worsened so it's not that for especially for an economy like india where per capita incomes are still fairly low this is a massive shock and it would have ramifications not just over these two years but over the next two three years at least if not more in terms of getting back the growth momentum before we get to the next segment i just wanted your quick attention one of the big reasons people say that they like this show is because it helps them understand the news better it provides them with the context they need to see the bigger picture and there's perhaps no other place that does this better than the indian express's explained section we on three things refer to the section regularly and it helps us make this show if you're a regular reader of the newspaper you know how useful the explained section can be especially when you're looking for in-depth analysis by the right experts you can log into indianexpress.com/explained and access their coverage 24/7 explained by the indian express when news that matters is explained by experts who know the subject now back to the show in october when the railways ministry stopped all trains from going into punjab to counter protesting farmers chief minister amrinder singh warned of a potential collateral damage the chief minister warned that apart from farmers and industry in the state it could also affect the indian army and the supply of stocks to soldiers who are bracing for a cold winter however as the indian express's manaman singh china reported there was little cause for worry about the army's supplies we know speaking with him about the role of the railways in the indian army's supply system and how the army dealt with the entire border state being cut out of india's rail network uh manaman to start with could you explain the roles railways plays with the army well uh, the railways play a very significant role uh, in uh, uh, with army as far as the logistics and uh, maintaining the lines of communication are concerned the heavy duty supplies in bulk are normally done through uh, railways this includes you know uh, heavy weapons arms and ammunition and even troop trains which are called military special trains in which uh, the military personnel are transported from one place to another so the railway links to major military stations and cantonments and uh, to the border areas are very important and particularly because uh, as we know the army is not concentrated on the border alone we know that there are military stations which are situated far away from the border who have an operational role on the border so they might be sitting 200 kilometers 250 kilometers 300 kilometers away from say the border in punjab but if they have to move quickly and they have to move in a fastest manner to the border in in an adverse situation then they would require the help of the railways to get there in time and of course as i said uh, supplies logistics arms ammunition heavy weaponry tanks artillery these are normally moved on trains so when the railway stopped all services to the state of punjab what were the challenges before the army see uh, this farmers protest which has taken place in uh, punjab has happened at a time when the country was already reeling under the effects of the covid pandemic now one of the fallouts of the covid pandemic was that the army had restricted the movement of its troops as well as its heavy weapons and equipments across the country in order to keep the troops isolated and protected from the covid pandemic so luckily there was no such situation on the border which required immediate movement of the army personnel because of which uh, you know this blockade could have affected adversely so as far as the army's movements were concerned they were pretty much well under control and they were not affected by this rail blockade as far as the supplies go yes there has been an effect there have been good strains 
who have been curtailed, who could not move because of uh, this blockade of uh, farmers in Punjab. So therefore, there has been some sort of an adverse effect. But broadly speaking, the army has been able to keep its wheels moving because of the lockdown which they are under and the isolation which they are maintaining uh, due to COVID. So then how did the army deal with the fact that suddenly there's this massive logistical network that's just out of reach? Well, uh, the roads have been open. The road traffic has been available through and through. The roads were not blocked, though the farmers are sitting on toll plazas across the state. But these roads have not been fully blocked and the traffic is able to ply. Now, a lot of supplies of the army go by road also. For example, if we talk about Ladakh or we talk about the northern borders in Jammu and Kashmir, the bulk of the supplies, which include, let's say, uniforms, which include winter clothing, uh, they may include uh, even uh, fruits, vegetables, meat, anything which an army may require. Most of these things go by road. And road convoys were continually operating. There was no blockage. So the army managed to meet whatever requirements it had through these road convoys which had been flying. And of course, uh, when it snows on the passes, on the high reaches and the roads get blocked. So then the Air Force comes into play and any further replenishment of uh, of uh, goods, of logistics is done by the Indian Air Force. So while the army may pride itself on being able to deal with such unusual circumstances, have they encountered something like this before? And is there any kind of past learning that helped them in this case? Well, the army always keeps a contingency plan ready. You know, there have been railway strikes in the past though not uh, in the near past. Uh, but, you know, there have been blockades also. For example, if you remember the Gurjar agitation, which took place in Rajasthan, which again, till uh, recently, the Gurjars had uh, uh, gone and occupied the railway tracks in Rajasthan. At that point of time, also, the main railway line th- running, th- connecting Bombay and uh, Mumbai and Delhi had been blocked by the Gurjars. And in the past, there have been all India railway strikes also, wherein the entire railway apparatus in the country had been paralyzed and therefore alternative plans had to be made. So the army caters for these emergencies and these exigencies and they always have a plan B to fall upon. Like I said, that if the tracks were not open, they opted for road. And if even the roads had been blocked, they would have totally depended upon Air Force. Yes, it would have been expensive. Yes, it would have been a little bit time consuming, but the army would still have managed to get what it wanted despite all these blockades happening. But while the army's kind of managed to get its logistical network sorted out, what is the situation presently in the state due to the continuing stoppage of railway services? Well, yes, the state is not faring very good because of this blockade. Uh, The primary uh, shortage is of coal. The power plants have virtually run out of coal. Uh, Punjab is purchasing power at a very expensive rate from the central pool, uh, the central electricity pool. And uh, several power plants have had to be shut down because there is just not enough coal to run these thermal power plants. You know, Punjab only has thermal power plants. And of course, there is a small amount of electricity which comes from Heidel power plants, which is the Bhakra Nangal Dam, and of course, a certain share from the dams in Himachal. So the power situation had been pretty bad in the recent days, but right now, uh, things are on an even keel. Another major serious problem which uh, the farmers are facing, because of the incidentally, they are sitting on the blockade, but yet the farmer community is uh, facing the shortage of fertilizers. There is uh, extreme shortage of fertilizers which are required for the next crop. For example, now the paddy has been harvested and now wheat is being sown. 
So there is a requirement of urea and then there's a fertilizer called DAP. These are needed by the farmers. But because the freight trains, the good trains are not plying, so there is an extreme shortage of these items. And of course, the industry in Punjab is also suffering because the raw material is not coming in. The finished goods are not able to go out. The industrialists are uh, crying foul. They are losing out on orders. The orders are getting cancelled. So it leaves the economy of the Punjab also in a mess. However, Manaman says, there's hope this standoff could be resolved soon. The farmers are now holding talks. They are now sitting down with the central government. They have already held a round of talks with the agriculture minister. And though nothing came out of it, they have said that they are going to continue to talk. So this impasse, I think, is likely to get over. The talks are continuing. And in the coming week, we may see that this situation will get resolved. On Sunday, legendary Bengali actor Somitra Chatterjee passed away at the age of 85 due to complications arising from COVID-19. People from all walks of life turned up to pay their last respects to the Bengali film star. In Kolkata, fans carrying his photos accompanied his body to the funeral. As they walked, songs from his films played. And they sang along. But what is it that makes Chatterjee a cinematic legend and much more than just a regional film star? For that, we're speaking with Shubhra Gupta, who writes on film for the Indian Express. Due to a technical difficulty, you will hear a slight buzz in Shubhra's recording, but please bear with us. We started by asking Shubhra about what made Somitro Chatterjee the legend he was. Somitro became a legend in his own lifetime. Uh, very few actors actually managed to hit the pinnacle of success in the way that he did. And I'm not saying that it, the success was one of, uh, uh, you know, achieving X number of crores with a blockbuster. That success in the film that he did, he made with Satyajit Ray, in which Ray cast him for the first time, uh, which is Apur Sansar, which basically made him a household name, essentially because something about the way Apu came across made him a real person, someone who lived and breathed the same air that we did, and was someone who, who in a way that very few other actors at that point were doing, not just in Bengali cinema, but in cinema across India. Shubhra says that unlike other film stars, Chatterjee had none of the trappings of a big star. And that made him more accessible and lovable. Chatterjee was one of those people who famously answered his own door. He answered his own door. He, he stepped out to, you know, to do his own chores. He didn't have the trappings of a star. He just literally embodied the everyman. I think he abhorred the whole idea of that, the, the kind of stardom that came with a certain kind of an actor. I think he really enjoyed being who he was. And I think that was his strength. I think that really, truly became his USP so strongly that, you know, that the connection between him and his audience kept getting stronger, essentially because of the fact that he was just one of us. Definitely not a star who was larger than life. I think he deliberately kept away from being that. 
because he was a man of his times he was a man who who was aware of his surroundings he was a man who grew with everything that he absorbed he was a literator he was a poet he was a philosopher he was a playwright he acted in plays he was he started in radio so he was actually a man of letters he was a man of deep erudition and when he spoke you know you you ended up listening not because he was declaiming but because he was talking to us and if you're trying to catch up on chatterjee's work where should one start i would say every film that he's done with ray absolutely it's like a lesson in acting it's a lesson in being human it's a lesson in humility it's a lesson in just being purely an entertainer shubhra says that the starting point should be chatterjee's debut opur sansar then charulata then shonar kela and joy baba felunat both the feluda films then gorabaire ganashatru ashani sanket you know these are all the films that he did with rain off the top of my head i would say just just watch all of these shubhra says that chatterjee also did equally notable films with other directors but his work with ray stuck out cinema in itself is artifice you plant a camera somewhere and you see people start to change you see that the whole act of recording changes people with ray the camera was invisible and with shomitro you know the whole process of acting was invisible you know he just disappeared into the role and he became that part he became that person You were listening to the three things by the Indian Express. Today's show was written and produced by me, Arun George, and as always, was edited and mixed by our producer Joshua Thomas. Before we go, here's another reminder to check out Indian Express's Explained page. You can log on to indianexpress.com/explained and find in-depth analysis by the right experts. It has everything you need to know to understand the news better and see the bigger picture. If you like the show, then do subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also recommend the show to someone you think will like it. Share it with a friend or someone in your family. It's the best way for people to get to know about us. You can also tweet us at Express Audio and write to us at podcast at IndianExpress dot com.